Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You're listening to the best of the best of the best of MIP. With honors. This is MIP. With Masamela Mark Thompson. Get woke. Good morning again. Welcome to another edition of Make It Plain. Glad to have with us once again from the Democratic Coalition. And he's known on Twitter as at Funder, always sharing great information and disseminating great information, has become an expert, in fact, in mobilizing vis-a-vis social media. When social media is not taken down, that's another thing. Uh, <laughs> when it still is, is functioning. We'll get into that, too. But we've not talked in a, in a few weeks. Want to get his thoughts on some of the latest news. Scott Dworkin joins us. Hey, buddy, how are you? I'm doing great, brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you, as, as always. First of all, want to get your take on the whole infrastructure slash human infrastructure drama that we're seeing right now and, and mansions rolling. And I know it was going to come to the floor. Progressives pretty much stopped that, which... You know, to many of us is a is a good thing. People standing up, but what do you think about how that all unfolded and and where it's headed? I think there there were a lot of people who thought they were power brokers within the Democratic Party that didn't have the power they thought, and that backfired on them. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I think that they didn't expect a lot of people to push back in moderate or progressive ways, and and they definitely don't expect the progressive pushback because. A lot of people are recognizing they got elected because of progressives. And it's not like the Tea Party. It's a much bigger faction of the party than the Tea Party was of the Republican Party. So I'd say a vast majority of the Democratic Party is progressive. And I don't know know, where this moderate kind of tilt comes from. Yeah, we have to win elections. But at the end of the day, it's it's not been uh, helpful to to look like this. I really would hope that it be a uh, sometimes I say like, Okay, in this situation, what would Mitch do? What would McConnell do in this situation? How would he jam it through? What would he jam through? 
how would he work this through? And that's a terrible person <laughs> to compare it to. But in the positive sense of things, how would he handle this? And, and you know, how can you negotiate through this? And there's times to have those negotiations and there's times to get stuff done. I'm less worried about our process for like reelection and, and like what happens because that's eons away. That's a year, a year from now anyways. And I don't think that we should really focus on that anyways, because that's how you lose elections is you don't do your job. But all this stalemate from Manchin, but especially cinema, um, Manchin, the one thing that I can understand from him is I know where he stands. I know why he stands that way. I know what his reasoning is behind that. We don't know that was cinema. I've stood next to cinema before years ago. I think she was a, a rep and we were at a Michelle Obama event and she was probably one of the most progressive members of Congress at that time. Right. She was more giddy about Michelle Obama being there than anyone else in the crowd. So like, I, I don't know where things went from there to here. I can see her, she's gonna get primaried. I, I know that, but that's not till 2024. You know, it, the bottom line is anybody who, not the progressives that are, trying to negotiate things, that's not really being a barrier. The barrier is Manchin and Cinema. Speaker Pelosi is not going to bring a vote unless she knows that they can, they're going to have the votes or they can agree on something in the Senate because otherwise it's a wasted effort and it looks like Democrats lost and it's just a terrible PR disaster on top of everything else and we would not want that to happen. So I, I, I think that we're in a, a better spot than one would think because there's a negotiating route, but I just don't know what the answer would be to get cinema on board. I know how Manchin can do this, but they're playing playing with fire. Everybody is. We're going to have a lot of turmoil to deal with over the next year, especially with the more serious court cases from January 6th coming up. Um, you're going to have the word coup mentioned over and over again. Um, it's all going to affect this legislation because people are going to want to look like they're on board with supporting America. And obviously, if you don't support our infrastructure, human Internet, um, whether you can see it or not uh, physically in front of you, whether it's a bridge or not, um, even that, it, you know, it's just going to crumble to the ground. And I, I don't understand why some of these people were for it and they're against it. Some of these people don't stand for anything. They just want to stand against something, make Biden look bad. That's not the progressive viewpoint, obviously. Even AOC went on, I believe, Face the Nation and, and said, I appreciate President Biden. Yes, he's a moderate, but he'll talk to us. He'll actually listen. And he's listening. He's not like, you know, making the story up in his head or trying to get his outcome. He actually is listening and trying to figure out, okay, how can we meet at the middle of the road? We've got to be able to figure this out. Um, so at least what I sometimes think about is like, where would we be if somebody else had gotten elected, if somebody else were still in the White House? And that disaster, yes, we can talk about the difference between President Biden and former former guy Donald, uh, but the staff and the administration and the people, the, the mess that they've had to clean up over the past eight months uh, has been devastating. And so like, we've got to deal with that at the same time, the pandemic, and, and so we're trying to get stuff done uh, at the same time, the infrastructure bill. So like it's walk, chew gum, walk upside down through a, a, up a hill, through the snow in the hundred degree heat. Like it, it's a lot of things at once. And I think some people, you know, are using this to their advantage. And I think that's what's what's sad about this mansion and cinema part of it. I, I don't blame the progressives for taking a stand. I think that they should have taken one earlier uh, and it would be stronger at that point. But also, I think we're just getting our, our foot 
our footing down as to being in leadership because we've had to deal with crisis after crisis after crisis. People are dying left and right. We're in the middle of the pandemic still. So, and, and we were getting, taking care of our families, getting vaccinated. People started marching again now, obviously, as recently as, as your event that you had hosted in DC and, and elsewhere, and then the women's marches recently. And so once people get comfortable and are out there again, I think demonstrating, we're going to have a different kind of vibe because I don't think people really realize how much progressives outnumber any other political faction of any party. Yeah, yeah. More MIP after this message. And we ought to act like that. You all heard what Scott just said. It's very, very important. Why are we running for 2022 now? And then why are we considering as all of us, as the progressive members of the House are, what better to run on than a full and holistic infrastructure? And that's what I guess some of these moderates and when Manchin and Cinema don't get. And you're right, you're reminding us, she's she can't be primary till 2024. So, I mean, what does she think she's doing running for 2024 already in a state that is at least purple? You know, I mean, Arizona's changing. Mark Kelly won. I mean, it's a, it's a whole nother thing now. So it's really baffling uh, what they're up to. Here's the existential problem, and I'll share with you what I hear, and I'm sure you've heard from the organizations that are on the ground who we count on to mobilize voters every year, right? If the Democrats don't do something, how do we mobilize people again to get back out in the way we got them out in 2020? Now, you hear that from Black Voters Matter and other groups as well. You know, and and one of those big issues, frankly, still has to do with the filibuster and what it is held up in the Senate. Even that's existential, Scott, because even that one thing, I haven't heard somebody who was, I think, a conservative on TV the other day say they don't do nothing else. They got to deal with the with voting rights because that's going to eliminate them from holding on to power because they won't be able to vote because of voter suppression. That is an existential issue. People for the American way, League of Women Voters, organizing civil disobedience as we speak at the White House, ongoing protests, because they want Biden to stand up and say, we either have to create a carve out for voting rights or we have to get rid of it. So it still comes back to Manchin. He won't move on the filibuster. Biden doesn't seem to want to challenge him right now. And then these other issues with the infrastructure is like this one person is holding it up. Something has to be done. But, but what do you think about those who are saying that if if this does not change, it will demoralize the Democratic base we're counting on to get out to vote next year. I don't agree with that. I, I, I think that it motivates them because my what I say is we need to elect more senators that make Manchin and Cinema irrelevant, that they can't play these games, that we can override the filibuster, that we can move in that direction. Reelecting uh, Warnock is going to be huge. Winning in Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, uh, Wisconsin, I mean, just those places alone. I I mean, I truly believe that the blue wave has not finished yet. And I, and I think that, uh, once we remind people, all these, all these things, all this garbage that keeps on coming out, all these low hits, all these things about Afghanistan, uh, Republicans are writing ads for us. Republicans, all this crazy nonsense that they're doing right now will lose. They, that loses them the, the moderate base. Now, here's the biggest thing is as of right now, I think Trump is going to announce a run for 2024. 
next year, early next year, before primary season, so that he can primary people. And and that puts people in the position, if you're in a swing district outside of Philadelphia or something like that, you're sitting there and he's like, all right, I want you to endorse my race. And then you have to think about either endorsing Trump or not endorsing Trump. And there's repercussions to each of those. Right. You get primaried if you don't. But then if you do endorse them, your opponent's going to use that against you. And that could turn people off voting for you. So they're going to be stuck in, in that. At the same time, you have the more serious offenders that are going to have trials. Most of them are going to have trials. They're, they're, they're going to want to try and fight this. They're going to lose. But, you know, you're going to have that on top of the evidence that comes out from the January 6th committee. And we're talking about even just one text from Melania Trump that was leaked out by a former staffer that said no, where she refused to post a tweet. That went viral all day. So imagine the phone records and every the, all the other evidence that we have. I mean, the evidence and everything else is stacked against them. And the accomplishments that we've made, uh, remember, Republicans didn't want you to get any money. They thought that you'd be fine because they have all their rich buddies or whatever. You don't right. need a stimulus check. You don't need child tax credit. You don't need any of this stuff. Like they're against all of this. So reminding them why we haven't made any progress. It's not the Democrats' fault that it hasn't been through. It's the Republicans' fault because they haven't been on board with any of these issues and they don't support any of these issues. They would just let you rot in a corner, I guess. Because think about Obamacare. Like what was the other option? They didn't have one. They just wanted to be the anti. And I don't even think that they ever sincerely thought that they could beat it or remove it because uh, President Obama was so smart and strategic with that and was so well-written and in-depth and complex because it needed to be, but it also made it almost impossible for them to remove it. And as time went on, it just made it, you know, clearly, like if you do this and they're going to lose health insurance, people are going to go bankrupt, people are going to die. Um, so now we're in this COVID crisis. I think that the crisis is really on their side because they have this fake support that they get online which, you know, bot networks. So they have these, they think that they're getting a lot of support from people, but there aren't a ton of anti-vaxxers. There aren't a ton of people who are just, I guess, pro-COVID. There are a lot of people who are scared of, of needles. There are a lot of people who are scared of getting shots. And there are a lot of people that are able to isolate themselves in suburban communities so that they're not actually at risk as much as people in major cities would be. So they're, they're rich enough to have a fence around their house and have Amazon deliver all their packages and not have that kind of community spread. So they don't have the same threats. And so it's it's a different kind of, of world for some people. And I think that uh, you know things like the filibuster, that those those are things that are in our way that again, in order to beat that, we need to expand our majority so that we have a true majority in the Senate, because right now we do not. And that's how, how we have to act as a now, uh, again, procedurally. Yes, Manchin and Sinema vote a lot most of the time with, with Democrats. But this is not helping because all, all they're doing, these are basic common sense things that need to help America. And, and what their stalling does is kill people. And it yeah. hurts people. It doesn't do anything beyond that. There's nothing that helps America by stalling this, by negotiating more. Like people are hurting and they're dying left and right. It is not a game. Um, you know, their friends, their rich lobbyist friends are not the ones dying. It's people who are doing their, their job 12 hours a day or both jobs or three jobs, you know, where they have no benefits and they're doing it, risking their lives in a hospital or delivering packages or doing something where they actually are putting themselves in danger 
So, I mean, that on top of the fact that there's other variants out there that if they spread and there's a dominant variant that the vaccine does not is not effective with, or we get further down the line where there's boosters that are needed and we have all these unvaccinated people and the only people who qualify for boosters are the people who got vaccinated in the first place, they've fallen so far behind. Where, where are they going to get their voters, Republicans? Like, where are they going to? They're, they're losing voters because of death. And this is why Mitch McConnell has told people to get vaccinated now, because he's losing voters, literally. I, I don't know the exact number, but you are more likely to die of COVID if you're a Republican, because you're also more likely to be unvaccinated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They so much via social media and these fake organizations where, oh, yes, we can use Facebook to get 30 people together to go protest at this one clinic, and then we'll make a viral video about that. And then millions of people sit there and stare, look at these whack jobs. What is happening here? Like, I think we'll be able to present the argument next year. And we'll start this in Virginia now and New Jersey. But like, we're going to be able to present the argument as like, here is the America that Republicans want. Here's the America that Democrats want. And I think the, the vision is so stark and it's so clear as to what we want and what they want, and they've made it so clear on the record that it's very easy to make that divide. We just have to get the message out there. So I, I don't, I am not worried about 2022. I'm definitely not worried about the House. Uh, the Senate is what I, I would be most worried about, but it would not be much different if we were to lose a couple of seats. Like it really, it really wouldn't. We'd be, be stuck in the same stalemate, but Republicans would be more to blame if they were in the majority. So I, I think we need to win at least two or three more seats in the Senate, and then we can start to ram stuff through, through like it was in the Obama years a little bit, right around Obamacare. It's just not, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think we have a good chance of doing it because again, the devastation and the lies and the propaganda, all this stuff is starting to come out via Facebook, obviously here. And then also you'll have, uh, again, the January 6th involvement right. will right. all link back to everything that there will be other Trump scandals that come out from his administration. There's other things that we have to sweep up. There's other messes that will come out. I mean, even just Afghanistan, people have, with their fake hysteria, the right. guy down five bases we were left with one base we had three thousand troops and we were surrounded by eighty thousand members of the taliban thousands of member of uh, k-isis and then you we were expected to stay there and hold down the fort basically we had the risk of thousands of members thousands of our, our troops being held hostage by the taliban or us having to fight our way out of there um we were left with no option we were set up to be destroyed at that point. So uh, a lot of these things will come back to haunt them because the reality is there. And I think I think next year is when truth will prevail. Facebook is facing consequences now, finally, for their lies and inaction. I think Twitter is being proactive to try and not be like Facebook. And I think that other social media companies will follow suit. And with that, I think laws, relations will come out of this where it makes it illegal to spread propaganda, where it makes it illegal to spread uh, hate that involves things that uh, kill people, like anti-COVID, anti-COVID vaccine sentiment that is just nobody cares about it. It, it, it in regards to like there's not as much support as they say. And the people who do support it end up dying or getting sick of the virus because they listen to these falsehoods and lies that are are spread. So I'm not worried about the election in 2022. I think that obviously the Virginia election is going to be a really key 
uh, election for the gubernatorial race to show us exactly where we do stand right now. But I, I, I'm not worried about it because I think that the arguments are really there. And if they want to vote Republican after all of this, I don't see that as happening as of right now. I just don't. More MIP after this message. What states do you think are most likely for us to get Senate pickups? Uh, so I think uh, most realistic would be, I want to be careful about this. Pennsylvania, I think, is a, a clear potential. I think North Carolina is much more blue than it just wasn't organized in the same fashion as it was before. Republicans were super organized in North Carolina. Um, I think Ohio with Tim Ryan, I think he's he's got a real shot there as well. And uh, I think with Val Demings running in Florida, um, I also think with uh, Chuck Grassley running in Iowa and Abby Finkenauer, who's much younger, she's one of the youngest members of Congress or was, I think she's got a phenomenal chance there. I think there'll be some upsets as well. I just don't think that there'll be a lot of these Democrats will be outworked. I know Val Demings is one of the hardest working members of Congress out there. So her candidacy is phenomenal. Tim Ryan, same thing. Uh, in Pennsylvania, we've got some good candidates there as well. So I, I think those are going to be the key states. And I don't I don't know. I don't know if there's many others. You know, obviously, we need to defend in, in Georgia. That's going to be a key one as well. I think in Nevada as well, we'll have to do defend. But I think we pick up probably Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. Florida is going to be the the tough one. Florida is five states in one. Florida is always a, a tough. We'll, we'll be fight, fighting down there as well. But like that, that's more. That's a harder state to win. It's just a, a more difficult race. Rubio is a different kind of character. It's going to be a lot easier. In North Carolina with retirement, Pennsylvania with retirement, and uh, Ohio as well. Like it's it's just I think those three states are the states we do we we win those three states and we protect in Georgia, uh, and and I think we're in good shape. Then then we have a, a real majority at that point. Yeah, yeah, no, that's important. And you're right about Val. I mean, she's got a lot of energy, but it's an uphill battle. Uh, a Cubs fan described, a Democrat who's also a Cubs fan described to me Florida uh, as the Cubs, Chicago Cubs of states. Because, you know, you, you're right there. You get right there. And then it just <laughs> something happens. So we have to be sober about that. Talk to us about Virginia. You're involved in that race. We've done well in Virginia. Normally it's gone back and forth. But since the Obama years, we've prevented that, have kept it blue. Is it going to stay blue this go round? That's my hope. You know, I have concerns just because, as always, it's an off-year kind of election, and this is it's McAuliffe running, so he's got the name recognition. Glenn Youngkin is worth close to half a billion dollars, and he's a Republican nominee, and he's a template kind of seemingly moderate Republican who's not moderate at all. He's very right-wing, very religious, and uh, very anti-choice. He has a lot of those it's it's weird because he'll say things that are very unpopular with Republicans. Like he'll say, everybody should get vaccinated. Yeah. And then he tries to qualify with it, but it should be your choice. And it's like, okay, all right. So you support vaccinations, but you don't, but you do. but you, And so it, that kind of waffling doesn't help. And our first ad we're hitting tomorrow, I, I guess we, we're going to focus on his business relationships because a lot of his business relationships are, are with places that Republicans are not okay with. And so I think one of the keys is to make sure that he's exposed for who he is and people are reminded of like before they start voting, like this is not 
the guy that you want there. This is a corrupt guy that who's been in the business of politics without being in politics for years. He's another Trump-like figure, except he's scarier because he can play the game in a way where he seems like a normal human being, but in reality, he's <laughs> he could be an evil politician if he gets elected. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he's also been caught on uh, an undercurrent. One of the uh, programs that I work with is is he was caught on video by Lauren Windsor that is saying that he would prevent, he would stop everything that he could involving any kind of President Biden agenda, any kind of agenda item, uh, anything that would really help out Virginia. So money's being sent to the state, uh, things involving Medicare, Medicaid funding just in general. Uh, and so he is it, a normal businessman who ran, you know, a multi-billion dollar business for years, uh, worked in various countries around the world. And I think tomorrow we'll make it very, very clear which country we should be most scared about his ties. And, and I think that combined with the, his uh, anti-women rhetoric and on, on top of just his obstruction kind of driven attitude, all of that comes into a combo where it's like Terry McAuliffe seems like the safe right decision for now. He knows how to work in government. He never really had a big scandal. Um, I think what I'm worried about is, you know, you have the the Fairfax and the uh, Northam different scandals at different times. Fairfax, I'm not sure. I I never, we, we never researched the whole potential scandal there. Um, and what had happened, but with Northam, obviously, you know, have the painting face and, and all that, garbage, like it, pretty racist stuff. And and so it does make me think that maybe some Democrats might be leery about this, but I don't know. I think Democrats really take this seriously. And I hope that we win by 10 or so in, in Virginia. Yeah. I'll take it by one, but we don't want to take any chances. So we just want to take this very seriously because again, Youngkin's going to spend money everywhere. He's already spending his own money, and he has hundreds of millions of dollars that he can spend. Uh, he won't spend that much, but you know he's got millions he could just shell out in a moment's notice. So we need to prepare for that, and just why not give that outside support? I think New Jersey, we're fine. I'm not worried about that. You know his polling is is ridiculous right now, and he's fairly popular throughout the state. Virginia, you only have one term that you can serve, so that's why Terry McAuliffe had served before. Uh, for four years, and now he can run again because you just cannot be consecutive. Murphy can run for re-election in New Jersey. It's a lot different story. He can build a war chest and whatnot. McAuliffe had to start over again. Luckily, he's run before. He knows how how to work and and get the fundraising off the ground and everything. So it looks like McAuliffe is going to win, but I... Don't want to, we don't want to take any chances. And there's no risk in just, you know, reminding people exactly what needs to happen and activating people in Maryland, Virginia, D.C. and North Carolina to get, get the support for Virginia to make sure that they're, it's an example of, no, Democrats are not heading things in the wrong direction. It's clear in Virginia. And I think that's, we need that example moving into next year. Yeah, you're right. Let me ask you this. Well, let me make a statement and ask a question. It would seem to me that Charlottesville itself is a lingering issue for Virginians. Do you agree? Will that also impact the way people vote? And what has been the Republicans' position on that? Has it come up? Has he decried it? I mean, is it is it still an issue? He's against it. He's 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 decried. He's been against it. Uh, you know what happened there. 
it's still an issue. But we're being careful how we approach that. We do want to remind people what happened and where Republicans were in the state uh, when that happened and how some of them were marching with them with the tiki torches and some of them defended them and some of them downplayed it. Uh, and some of them have since disparaged Heather Heyer and the police officers who died in the helicopter. And uh, that day, people sometimes forget about that uh, as well. So, it, you know, I think we're going to carefully remind people through family members of victims and, and else, yeah. elsewhere to, you know, exactly what kind of leadership you need in office. You don't need a person who would support the person they were supporting. And mm. Yeah. And that's what McAuliffe would not support that by any means. And I think Youngkin would be another guy, both sides kind of issue yeah, guy. Yeah. And, and so making it clear, but at the same time, the sensitivity of the moment of, of making sure it's clear that it's not being used for, for that kind of purpose. But it, I, th- I think it will be, we will remind people exactly of what happened that day and just, you know, how you need a governor in charge to prevent things like that from happening. And when they do, you need a governor in charge who does not agree with that kind of sentiment. And you can't even risk, you can't even risk having a governor in charge that would possibly support that or both sides it or have supporters that are marching in that crowd. Like you can't, you can't do that. And so we're going to be sensitive about it, but you know how we also do it. We like to make sure that it's a very clear message and and succinct. It will be something that we bring up. It will not be, it's so traumatic of an event that we, we want to be careful how yeah, it's presented. Yeah. You know, it, it's not something that we're, we're going to present to Republicans as like, look at what you did or, or something like that. It's more like Democrats look at where how far we've come from this moment and how we, we've rebounded in the state of Virginia to now. Uh, and so, again, just being strategic about the messaging, because we want to be careful we can't coordinate with any campaigns. Like, so we want to be careful about anything that we're doing. We know that it affects McAuliffe's race. We just want to make sure that it doesn't negatively affect his race because then it, it can backfire. So when it comes to sensitive issues like that, we do want to be careful at the same time. Uh, we don't want to uh, fear to be driving people to the polls. We want uh, you know, more inspirational. So, so maybe we hear from Miss Bo, who, who's Heather Heyer's mom. Maybe we hear from other yeah. people who can give words of inspiration a, as to uh, where we need to go. And uh, maybe that place is McAuliffe. I, I would assume that uh, she'd support his candidacy. Yeah. I don't speak for her though. But, I, I think that approach is both responsible and appropriate. However, I just I like to remind people this in 2006. Uh, when George Allen, I think he was running against Chuck Robb again for the Senate, and he referred to an Indian man as a macaca. Video went viral. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Man, the morning of Election Day in Virginia, that morning, the day people voted, there were someone posted signs all over the state. They were You couldn't go anywhere and not see these signs. And it was one word on the sign. It was macaca. And that, you know, it, it didn't have any other commentary. It just said macaca. Mm-hmm. And George Allen got turned out. So just want to, you know, put that in your mind and think about it. You're right. I think you do have to be respectful. It was traumatic. Right. But, you know, if, if there's even a subtle way like that, uh, just to, you know, nudge people side now, be clear who this is and what can happen if this person wins. The last thing is you mentioned January 6th a few times. You tweeted that Mike Pence was an accomplice. Yes. Talk right. to us about that. Well, I, I mean, he knew about the planning that they were doing. Uh, He knew about what they were trying to do. He knew about the planned attempted coup, the failed coup. And he 
there was strategic framework. There were lawyers involved. There was pressure inside and outside. He never leaked any of that out. He never made it clear to the American people that they're trying to do this. He let it happen. And then even up till that day, he was considering either uh, leaving after after that uh, vote when he had left or whatever. I'm not sure exactly what Speaker Pelosi said to him and McConnell, but that's why they went back in there. Speaker Pelosi is the champion here, not Pence or McConnell. Whatever they did struck fear into them where it, it, she had proof of something or knows something. I, I don't know exactly, but get your butts back in there or I'm going to destroy you. Something along those lines, I would guess, but in, in the Speaker Pelosi way. And, and so I see him as acting like an innocent bystander because some of the people were chanting hang Pence and, and things like that. But look at how he's defended what happened that day. Look at how he acts like that didn't happen. Look at how he acts like the security cameras aren't really accurate. Like, I mean, it's, it's just, it's the same kind of despicable things. He had spoken out against it, but then he didn't. Like, when did he talk to uh, Trump? When did he talk with other advisors outside the White House? When did, did he beg for help? Did he ask for help? Was he smiling during this? Like, was mm. he like thinking this is great? Like, I, I hope I don't have to deal with this. I hope I don't have to go back. Did he not plan on going back there? You know, like what we need to know every single detail of what he was doing, everybody around him, all the communications as well. And so he, you know, he was the vice president and uh, his boss was sitting there doing nothing at the same time while the Capitol was under attack. And yes, Pence made some game time calls because Trump was nowhere to be found. But these were calls that I think would have been made without even Pence at that point. So I, I don't I don't have any sympathy for uh, Mike Pence. I And I don't think anyone really should. He, he knew what he signed up for. And when the push came to shove, he ended up siding with, with Donald even after the events of that day. Right, right. And uh, th- there's obviously evidence that he has that we need uh, to have that January 6th committee probably already has. FBI definitely already has. So I, I just I would expect him if uh, Trump were to be indicted, Pence should be as well because he's a co-conspirator. He's in on it. He knew about it. He was aware. He never told anybody about it. Um, never thought it was a problem afterwards. Try to cover for it. And so the, every step of the way, Pence has been a co-conspirator of everything. And uh, it, my guess would be that if anyone uh, uh, planned anything involving legislation, involving any timing of things, involving Congress, like Pence is the one who organized it. Pence is the one who knew about it. Pence is the one who worked with members of Congress about it. So, you know, yes, he didn't go in a certain way that day that they wanted him to, but he considered it. And, and like that... Mm-hmm. They, help lead up to the events of that day. If they were in the White House planning uh, an attack on the Capitol, whether or not he wanted his own people to be hurt or other people to be hurt is yet to be seen. I'm pretty sure that he wanted his own people to be hurt and then say, look at what they've done to us. I'm, you know, martial law, la, 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 la. So I think that Pence wants that sympathy. And we pause for a moment because we're like, wow, like that is strong. They said these things, but Pence kind of, allowed this all to happen and he knew about the you know every everything that could happen that day and trump's plans for that day he wasn't cut out of the process and so he's definitely not a witness anymore in my eyes uh you know he's trying to talk it down and he's just another co-conspirator who needs to be in handcuffs arrested by the the doj for sedition against the united or conspiracy against the united states but it's it's I think we're we're seeing a clearer and clearer picture that we're we're going to see a really disturbing picture come early next year 
I, I don't think that this is going to be it's worse than we could ever imagine already. You know, they, having a plotted outline uh, by a legal team of how to throw a coup, uh, right. make a failed coup. It's not an attempted coup. He actually they tried. This they was tried plan. right. And and. It's weird. It is weird how like every step of the process, if one person chose to go one way or the other, he may still be in the White House right now. And, and so luckily we've had some people who, who stepped up and made the decisions how, how they were supposed to. You know what I mean? I'm not giving them applause. This is their job they're supposed to do. And they didn't really have any choices or, or discretion. But Trump wanted to break the law. Trump wanted to break those rules. And so, yes, Pence didn't do that one thing. But I'm pretty sure he would have been overridden. They would have said, oh, let's try and challenge in a court. But if he wasn't going to read the votes, somebody else would have. So I, I don't I don't think he had much leeway in anything that he could have done. But if he did, he, I think he would have done it. And, and I think we need to consider the, all the possibilities that he worked with Trump and advised him along the way. And we need to assume that we need to assume the worst out of him because he is one of the worst human beings that, that exists on the planet. You're right, though, when you think about it, there's no way he can just plead total ignorance to any of this. He, he knew something was going to happen that day. There's no way he was totally out of, in, in the dark on it. There's no way possible, and you're right. And again, as you've also alluded to, you know, with these trials are gonna be very ripe next year. Um, you know, and, and let's be honest, there, there's a culture within our party to be pessimistic sometimes, to be doom and gloom. Oh, we ain't going to make it. And I mean, that's part of argument. Cinema and management around saying, well, we can't get rid of filibuster because what's going to happen when we're not in power? Well, if you don't get rid of it and change the voting laws, then you won't be in power. I mean, it's a self-fulfilling. But we we have a tendency to do that. I remember when uh, Obama's first midterm came, and uh, they pretty much announced at the White House, oh, we expect to lose all the seats. I'm like, what, what are you doing? That's not – so we have to get in a better habit of being more optimistic. And those Democrats, even some in the swing districts who are a little afraid of things, I hadn't thought about what you said. It's as if they've forgotten. There are going to be trials next year. A lot more is going to come out. And another important thing you said, Scott, uh, that Scott said, I want you all to understand too. If that fool decides to announce his reelection plans during the midterms, that only helps as, as well. We use that. You know, that mobilizes people because I don't think anybody wants that to come back uh, at all. He's he's trying to sue to get his, I think, his Twitter account back or whatever. I know I said last thing, but one more thing. I'd be remiss if we didn't get your thoughts of, uh, around the whole Facebook whistleblower that was on 60 Minutes and then Facebook shut down the next day. What, what are your thoughts about what's going on over there? And I find it weird that uh, there would be few things that could change the story besides a Facebook shutdown the next day. Um, so I, I don't, I think self-inflicted wounds are possible. I'm not going to spot out conspiracy theories, but I just find the timing to be impeccable and uh, weird. I, I think that this is a person who has the ability to, to do this and is being listened to and taken seriously, which is good. But this is just par for the course. Obviously, Facebook seems to have been one of Trump's biggest supporters and because Trump paid them money. And the same thing with the Russian government and Chinese government and affiliated people to that, you know, letting people do whatever they want. It, it, it's less. So it's, obviously blame is on Facebook, but we need to make laws to make it illegal. We need to regulate it. We need to make sure that there's oversight with it. We need to break up big tech. We need to make sure that they, they can actually be managed instead of 
just letting have free reign and acting like it has something to do with free speech when in reality it has to do with free propaganda just reigning over everything and people being able to buy in from anywhere like you know at this point putin could throw in his own money to run ads in support or against somebody and there's nothing that we could do about it like it, it doesn't make any sense at the same time Facebook isn't held accountable because there aren't laws on the books that say you're held accountable because you helped spread this disinformation that killed people via COVID or yeah. this X, Y, or Z. There needs to be consequences, and the consequences cannot be fines. There needs to be criminal. And so it, people need to go to prison, but people can't go to prison over this because they haven't crossed the line with as many uh, laws because we don't have them on the books. So we need to figure out a way to work together to get this so that we can, we can regulate. I, I think they... I think this is a, a bigger story than what it is. I think that they uh, chose money over people, and I think that they've hurt millions, countless people in the process. And we knew this. We knew, we've known this the whole time. It's just we have proof now. We have more, more and more proof. I think that we're going to see this, this expand from here. And you know, I, I don't think that Facebook is going to disappear, but I do think that they'll be under new management by next year. I just don't. I don't think it's it's tenable for Zuckerberg to stay in power. I don't think it's tenable for the same board to stay in power. I mean, this is this is ultimate corruption, and it's uh, yeah. it's an affront against everybody because they're letting people be manipulated for money, and and that's yeah. just not right, and that's not good for anybody. And overall, it just it hurts people, and so we need to recognize that uh, people need to pay the price for that. And if the only way that we can do it is by having new laws that make it, it so so that it prevents it again. But again, it can't be, oh, Facebook pays this $50 million fine. No, people need to go to prison if they do this again. And so we need to make new laws on the books. And that that prevents it from happening. And I think that, that's what this whistleblower will help do is they'll actually pass something because it seems like there's bipartisan criticism and support of Facebook and big tech overall uh, for their manipulation and their willful ignorance or however we want to paint it. There's, there's just been so much where it's just they sit on their hands and they act like, oh, well, I don't know what's going on. I just work on the Trump campaign, but get paid by Facebook. Like there were staffers <laughs> of Facebook on the Trump campaign. Hillary refused to have them on there because she thought it was weird or funny. Uh, it, it just it's very. For example, uh, I'll leave you with this. That I we met with Facebook in their D.C. office to talk about progressive groups who have been suspended from their accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is in early 2019, I believe. And it was a week later, uh, the coalition's account on Facebook got what we called a boot. It wasn't suspended, but it also cut our reach by like 90%. And they were like, you posted this. This looks like false information. And it was from like a year ago or something. Like it was something random. And it took us months for them to figure out what was going on. And it, we never actually had a process that was figured out. And we were about Republicans and Democrats, we have to have a process as to why are we being suspended or why is this account being suspended? What are the what's the reasons behind it? You can't just do it Wizard of Oz style. And I think again, this has to do with regulations and and figuring things out like that because it's not to try and slow down the process or social media, but people are dying. People are being brainwashed into killing themselves because of social media companies and and them. Just letting people do that. And and yeah. they choose to do the right thing if they sit there and they'll lose billions of dollars because of it. It's obviously evil, but we need to we need to clean this up. And I think it's it's our opportunity to do so. And if we don't act now, if Congress doesn't act now on this, I don't know if they ever will. 
Yeah, you're right. We've got to do something. Absolutely right. Folks, he's the executive director and founder of the Democratic Coalition. Be sure to follow at the Dem Coalition. Also host of his own popular podcast, The Dworkin Report, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow The Dworkin Report at Dworkin Report. Scott Dworkin, our friend. Thank you, brother, for joining me today. Okay. Thank you for everything you do. Appreciate you having me. All right, all right man. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.